Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. everybody how you doing well that's good welcome to broad street hockey radio that's right bsh radio my name is bill Matz. i'm your director of fun and games fun and games for the evening all right that was good good start bill way to go uh we have actual some things to talk about i guess uh the flyers aren't doing much but there is hockey going on we had some nhl awards handed out and someone did resign so we're gonna get into all of it but let's start it off with the introductions how about we start with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle? So last night I realized that I'm a terrible human being because for some reason, like as soon as I heard that Steven Stamkos was playing, I was like, he's going to fuck up and ruin it. And like, obviously he didn't because he's really good at hockey, but I don't know why that was my first instinct. I was like, I hope he fucks it up, but he, he didn't. He I'm ruined my person. stars in five bet. I'll tell you that. He did do that. That's for sure. It was from theathletic.com. Oh. What, Charlie? No, I was going to say it was pretty cool to see, though. I mean, I know he didn't play that that much, but the fact that he scored that goal, and it wasn't like a bullshit goal either. It was a legitimately really nice Steven Stamkos goal. That was neat, and it was just kind of one of those cool hockey moments. It was. Like, for for a a series I have zero attachment to whatsoever, uh, like, a cool moment happening, I wasn't expecting that. So at least we got one cool thing in this uh, just stupid final. Stupid, stupid final. From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I'm still, like, and and granted, like, I'm a little biased here because I actually have to do, like, you know, covering the team stuff during all this. But it's really Ooh. been exhausting, the fact that, like, the Flyers lost the playoff series, and then we immediately jumped into, oh, my God, the offseason is in two and a half weeks. Like, I guess this is what happens when a team is good, but also this schedule has been ridiculously cramped due to the NHL wanting to blast through this bubble as quickly as possible, and I, I kind of just want to sleep. That would be nice. Can we can we just, like, finish <laughs> yeah. this? Can, we, can I just, like, fast forward to mid-October so then I can take some vacation time? Thanks. Just, like, October 10th. As soon as we're at October 10th, it'll probably be okay. Isn't that Steph's birthday? No. Almost. No. Almost. Really? Close. I was positive it was. No. It's close, but no. All right. Yeah, it's, uh, we just went through that whole, like, five-month off season where nothing happened, and now we're going to get some sort of condensed version of we don't even really know what's going on or when the season's actually going to start. But here's a bunch of shit to keep you busy, so at least you have that, Charlie. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, like, people have said that to me, like, well, you had, like, that whole off season. That wasn't an off season. That was constant no. stress about the world and about everything and then about trying to figure out how the hell I was going to produce enough content to help keep my company from going under for five months while there was literally no sports going on that was not an off and season. like and like you couldn't go anywhere it's no. not like you could take a cool like a vacation <laughs> or something we were locked in our fucking homes 
Last but certainly not least, Stephalicious D, Steph Driver. So if you guys haven't read the article from Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan on ESPN about what life in the bubble was actually like for these NHL players, like, read it because it, it, it looks like the players were sold a bill of goods to get them to agree to go to the bubbles and then they ended up leaving with hotel bills at the end of the day. I haven't that read the whole wild. thing yet. I did read excerpts and uh it sounds it's very it's got a little bit of a fire fest tinge to it. Like just <laughs> Yeah, a no bit. that's totally it. Um there were a couple hold on. I took some screenshots so I'll just like I'll read some of them out loud. There were times I didn't go outside for four or five days, said a Western Conference player who spent weeks in the bubble. Some teams had meeting rooms with balconies, and those guys could go out there and get some sun. Other teams' rooms were in the middle of the hotel, so there's no windows, no lights. You're always in your room. And unless you go out to the prison yard, which is a courtyard, but it was an oval concrete slab with a freaking Tim Hortons truck in it and fencing all around, you don't get any fresh air at all. So... What hotel so doesn't have windows? I mean, there are hotels like that that have, like, the rooms in the middle of the hotel rather than hanging up. The, the one thing I'll say is this. Like, it seems like the bulk of... It seems like the bulk of the of, of the complaints came from the Edmonton bubble, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because they... I don't think they ever even wanted to go to Edmonton. It was just because there happened to be a breakout of coronavirus in Vegas right before they were making the decision. It was like, okay, I guess we gotta go to Edmonton. So, like... I'm willing to forgive the NHL on the Edmonton bubble not being, like, the most social because it's Edmonton. Like, it's not going to be. The thing that really rubs me the wrong way or rubbed me the wrong way, and I think the players have every right to be pissed off about, is the fact that the NHL very much exaggerated the chance that their families were going to be able to come for the conference final and beyond. Because the NHL sort of, the way that was negotiated, it was like, it was presented to the players as if like, yeah, this is definitely going to happen. We just got to cross some T's and dot some I's with the Canadian government and all's going to be great. You're going to get to bring your family. And by like the first month in, the NHL had realized that there was no way that was going to work. And like, I get it. I get why the Canadian government is very hesitant to let anybody from the U.S. up to their country. I understand it. It's not that I'm mad about that. It's that if you didn't know for sure you were going to pull it off, don't basically promise the players that you're going to pull it off. That really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, so there's another there's another excerpt that I just want to read because it mentions Philadelphia, but I don't know if it actually means Philadelphia if it was just an example. So here's the quote. Some teams have owners that are in the restaurant or hotel business. This was just a chance to make a couple bucks back, an Eastern Conference player said. But when you're feeding 30 to 50 six-foot-plus monsters and you've got 50 hotel rooms, it wasn't a cheap restart, right? But it was also a situation where you're like, I can't believe Philly got this. We should have that. <laughs> That's awesome. Suck it, So at least, at least Philly... I mean, it appears maybe they did okay. I wonder what the thing that they got is. I hope it's like hookers and blow or something. Like they got something really good and everyone was super pissed off. That Apparently was... there was very little sex, if at all, in the book. <laughs> of course not. Uh, the disappointing all, yeah. part it's, it's of that... the article from... Oh, go ahead. No, it's just that Comcast money. The Flyers were taking full advantage of all that Comcast money. They got free HBO, nobody else. Oh, did. definitely, yeah. definitely. No, 
It sounds to me like probably the teams that we think should get preferential treatment from the league actually finally got it. Like, yeah, suck it, Oilers. The fucking Flyers and Maple Leafs make all the money, so they have cooler hotel rooms. Too fucking bad. The part of the article that I found disappointing, though, was uh, they, they promised drugs, and that was something I wondered about, like, how are they getting coke into the bu- bubble? And the only talk of drugs concerned a uh, a, a harmless plant. So, yeah, were they talking? Well, were, were they talking about edibles? There were edibles that, yeah. that the yeah. players had, which is of course legal where they were. So, right. Yeah, yeah, weed gummies and edibles. Yeah, I wanted to know how they were playing these. Maybe that's why it didn't feel like the playoffs because everyone wasn't coked out of their goddamn minds. <laughs> that's true. Oh, God. Oh God! No, I, I think that like this was never going to be an ideal situation, and I, an article like this, I guess, was inevitable. And you know, good work by, uh, sure, by yeah. Emily Kaplan and, and Wyshynski for forgetting it, because like it, it was never going to be an ideal situation. Players were going to be frustrated, they were going to be lonely, it was going to be weird. Um, but there are some things that the NHL, like the fact that any of these guys left with um, you know with massive bills on their tab, is ridiculous. The fact That's that crazy. They were, the fact that they were... Pro- they weren't even given a per diem to eat. Like, they just had to buy their own food and pay for it out of their own pocket. Yeah, I was like very that's, surprised by that. that. That's insane. And and again, the fact that, like, they were basically sold a bill of goods on their families being able to join them is ridiculous as well. Um, but, you know, on, on one hand, I just have to say that, like, this was never going to be ideal for anybody. And, no. like, you know, these kind of complaints were inevitable because this... They're playing in a bubble where you can't go anywhere. Like, people are going to get annoyed. I like how uh, in in the Orlando bubble for the NBA, Jimmy Butler decided he was going to make some money and brought, like, a cappuccino maker in, like, a a French press and is selling $20 cups of coffee. And they're anting up, the players. That that does sound like something Jimmy Butler would do. That's the American entrepreneurial spirit right there. Those socialist Canadians just don't know how to deal with hardship. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I like all the comments in this story that were like, all these bitches whining and complaining. What about the troops? Like, that shit is its gold to me. I want to follow all those people to see what else they talk about. Only troops, Bill. (laughs) Only the troops. (laughs) Nobody else has hardships. Nope. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers for a little bit, who were unceremoniously removed from the bubble, uh... Jesus, what, like a month ago now at this point? I don't even know. Time flies. Like like three weeks. Three weeks? Yeah, it feels like like it was yesterday, and also it never had, like, (laughs) I don't know. I can't decide whether it was forever ago or just yesterday, but there is a little bit of news here. Uh, Nicholas Aube Q-Bell avoided uh, arbitration, I suppose, with uh, his, was he arbitration eligible? I thought he was. Um, NAK, yes, he was. Yeah, so he avoids arbitration with an early re-sign, a two-year contract worth a little over a million per season. Uh, Last year, he had seven goals, eight assists, and 36 NHL games. He was a regular when healthy in the playoffs. Uh, Physical presence, 82 hits in those 36 games. Shot nearly 15%. Something tells me you need to shoot more, homie. Uh, A little over 10 minutes a game. Flyers now have 11 forwards signed to their NHL roster, plus unsigned RFA Nolan Patrick. 
They also have four D-men with uh, signed with Myers and Haig on, and only one goalie with uh, Lyon and Elliott, both unrestricted free agents. They've got a little bit more than $7.8 million under the cap. What is next? Well, first, react to NAK. How do we feel? See a lineup regular next year? I feel like he has to be making over a million. Seems like he definitely is. Seems like he's a lineup regular now. He had to earn the coach's trust by the for time sure. the playoffs came around the way he was uh he was ba- I mean he was out for a little bit when we all think he injured his foot but he's he's one of the 12, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the the only the only thing that gives me like a little bit of pause there is that I do hear that and I I've never fully understood this. There must be just like people in the organization that they're just like very vocal skeptics of all by Cubell and just always have been because there seems like there's a feeling among the coaches that like he's a guy that they just need to stay on all the time or else he's going to slip like there's just this feeling of like some guys some guys you don't like you don't ride too hard because you know they're they're going to work their ass off regardless and they seem they have a feeling with all by Cubell that like if they if they don't go to the whip a lot, that he's gonna he's gonna sag and he's gonna kind of coast. So there is that, and that's like the only thing that gives me pause from just locking him into the lineup forever with no concerns whatsoever. Um, but he certainly has played well enough to be a staple in this lineup. I mean, to me, he's like we've we talked about it for years that he was kind of like your ideal Michael Roffel replacement. Maybe not exactly the same stylistically, but the same kind of guy. Where like if he's on your fourth line awesome if he's on your third line that's that's really cool if he's on your second line like no you don't really want him there for an extended period of time but for a couple games sure he's skilled enough and he's good enough that he can hold his own and he's basically that guy right now you know he does it a little bit differently than raffle he's a much better four checker i think and you know, maybe brings a little bit more offensive upside than raffle did especially from a playmaking standpoint but um but he's a good player, and you know this contract. They were they were always going to get him at, at a pretty cheap deal, considering his country his sure. contractual situation. But uh, but I mean, it's a steal for the Flyers in terms of the value I expect him to provide to the team next year. I mean, 15 points in 36 games, basically playing no power play. I mean, he did a little, but it's not like he's a power play contributor and playing what 11, 17 a game. That seems like a decent, you know, basically first year in the NHL. Yeah, I like the deal. I like NAK. I, I I think that you know this is this is his time to really show off. And I think that the fourth line, if we're able to build it the way that we want it built, it's the perfect spot for him. Yeah, the one thing that does intrigue me though, um, with regards to uh, to NAK, especially with the contract that he just signed, is. You know, I know we've been talking a lot about the idea of, um, you know, well, we'll just give Seattle a pick and they can take JVR. Like, if I'm Seattle and I'm staring at Nick Albay Cubell at a 1.075 cap hit for the 2021-2022 season, I'm, like, licking my chops and being like, this is the guy we're freaking taking. We're not taking a pick for James and Reeves. Like, we're taking Nick Albay Cubell. Oh, no, it's going to have to be a first-round pick. Like, <laughs> the the bribe ain't going to work for a third in Hague. Like, that that's not happening. It's Hague not- in a third. I'm sorry. I don't want to mess up the title of the book. Uh, that, I but, mean, honestly, that wouldn't be a horrible result, if you think about it. Like, losing Knack would suck, but, like, not that bad. You know what true. I mean? No, it's not, it's yeah, not going to kill you. It's not like losing a Phil Myers yeah. or a Scott Lawton. Eh. 
I don't know. Kind of really? like, uh, no, I can't say that about right. Scotty. Okay. I love Scotty. No, we like, we like, we like lots around here. I know. I'm just, now. even Steph likes Lawton. That's fine. Well, now. I now. made, I made the caveat. We like him now. So what do you, like I said, there's a 11 forward sign. Nolan Patrick is a restricted free agent. I assume they, they, you know, tender him because why the hell wouldn't you? They have four D men signed. Uh, Myers and Hager are RFAs. Uh, gotta believe they're definitely coming back. So what's next for this team? Little over seven point eight million under the cap. Uh, Alex Lyon is a UFA. Do you think they bring him back? Sandstrom and Ustamenko are both under contract. You think Lyon comes back to the org? I mean, that's an interesting one. The, that is really interesting. The thing is, like, they're gonna need a number three goalie. You know, they're yeah. gonna need someone who can come up and, you know, hold down the fort at the NHL level if Hart or whoever the second goalie is. I think it's probably going to be Elliott, but we'll see. If one of those guys get hurt, you're going to need a guy like that. My question is whether Alex Lyon wants to be that guy because, you know, he understandably has dreams of being an NHL goalie. And, like, that's not going to happen here. So if I'm him, I mean, maybe I'm not ruling out the possibility of coming back to Philadelphia uh, or Lehigh Valley, which is probably where he'd end up for most of the time. But I'm looking for, I'm looking for a place where like, maybe I can, you know, force my way into a full-time backup job in the NHL. So if I'm lying, um, I mean, I think the Flyers wouldn't have a problem with re-signing Alex Lyon. I don't think that, I don't think that bothers them. But if I'm lying, I'm looking for, you know, a more favorable environment to maybe me making myself into an NHL goalie. There's been, uh, we talked about this last show, and we've talked about it quite a bit, uh, but it sounds like Carter Hart really wants Brian Elliott back. He's done some interviews lately, and he's been sort of lobbying to bring back a guy who's who's helped him out. Uh, we think it's going to be Brian Elliott. I know we've, but that's that's where you think this thing's going? I don't know that there's a better option, so... Why not? Henrik I mean, Lundqvist. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God. Let's do it. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because the Flyers traded for Cam Talbot for Carter Hart, and then that didn't pan out. But he gets so I just what he think wants. It's funny that, I just think it's funny that Carter Hart's like, well, actually, it's Brian Elliott that I want. He's now. my dad now. <laughs> he's, he's the dad. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, the Elliot thing with Hart, because it's it's very clear that they have a good relationship now. My understanding last season, not like not this, this past season, but like the 2018-2019 season, my understanding was that like that year, the first year Hart was in the league, it's not like they didn't like each other, but there just wasn't much of a relationship. Like, he, the, if you remember, they traded for Cam Talbot, and it was like, oh, well, Talbot's going to be the guy who's going to be the 1B to, uh, to Hart. And I remember after the season that Elliot had his exit interview, and we asked him something to the extent of, like, you know, what is it, you know, do you think you could be a good mentor to Carter Hart? And Elliot kind of, like, bristled at the question. He was sort of like, well, I don't see myself as a mentor. I see myself as a goalie, and, like, that's my job yeah. first and foremost. And it was just like, whoa. You know, I don't know if this guy maybe is the right fit to be Carter Hart's mentor. But, you know, to Elliot's credit, he really, I mean, and maybe it's just a matter of, like, Carter Hart's a really tough guy not to like. And, like, over time, God, and, he like, is, like, huh? like, over time, anybody's going to become buddies with him. But, like, Hart has said, had nothing but great things about Elliot, about Elliot to, to say about Elliot in the last year. Elliot's had nothing but great things to say about Hart. And I think a real strong relationship has developed 
over the last calendar year. It's just funny because there was a time where the things I was hearing was kind of hinting that like, yeah, you know, maybe that's why they went to get Talbot because, you know, they're training partners and there's going to be a more easy relationship between the two of them. And maybe it's not quite there with Brian Elliott, who's a little annoyed that this kid's coming in to take his job. But it's worked out now. So now at this point, I think Elliott makes a lot of sense as the guy. It's just it's just interesting because that's not the way it was destined to be. Let me put it that way. But I kind of, like, in a mentor, I like the attitude that I'm not a mentor. Like, obviously, you want him to be, like, a good teammate and everything, but it's not like Carter Hart can start 82 games. Every time Brian Elliott goes in, I want him thinking, I'm stealing this fucking job back. I know that's unrealistic, but I want him thinking that, and... Like, I want him showing Carter Hart nothing is handed to you. I'm going to fight you for this fucking job. Like, I, I, I think that's a good mentality to have, even if it's not like, oh, put, put my arm around the kid and let me show you the ropes. Like, I, that seems unrealistic in a lot of situations. I actually, I really love what you just said. Like, yeah, no, let's not give the the golden child the silver spoon like make him work for it you're really good kid i don't have to give you anything you know look you're gonna win this job i'm just gonna compete my ass off and there's a few things i can show you along the way i will so do we do we think that the reason that alex Lyon is never gonna get a a shot at the backup job here really because we don't want to have two young goaltenders is that you think lion's like 28 now yeah i know he's not that young but he just he hasn't proven it. I think the no, he's never done anything good. good. Yeah. I mean, he's never done anything flashy here. But like, if if the idea is that he might want to get out of here because he wants to become an, a regular NHL backup, it's just interesting that he's not going to ever get the shot to do that here. I think there is definitely a feeling that because of the potential volatility of having such a young starting goalie, that you want to have that vet to sort of be there to stabilize things both in the room and on the ice. And by the time that Hard is that veteran who doesn't, you know, at least in theory, need that type of guy, then Alex Lyon's going to be 30 years old and his career is probably going to be, like, sort of over if he's never got Alex Lyon, Alex Lyon will be a scout for us by then. (laughs) Yeah. So I just don't know if the timelines quite match up. I think that, and that was kind of my issue with Anthony Stolarz as well. I didn't know if the timelines really matched up with having a Hart Stolarz tandem. I think Lions similar, not necessarily from an age standpoint, but just from an experience standpoint. It's like a chicken and egg thing. Like he won't be a veteran until he gets the experience, but he won't get the experience because he's not a veteran. So that's why I almost wonder with him. It's like it might be better for his career to look elsewhere. That said, like, if he leaves, the Flyers are still going to have to go out and get somebody to be that number three. I don't think Kirill Ustamenko is ready to be the number three goalie in the Flyers organization. That's where you're wrong, Charles. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's Belarusian, my bad. He's going to be the number two by the end of the season. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. But, uh... No, I mean, I like Lyon. If he leaves, I'll be disappointed. He was a fun guy to interview, and I, he, was, he, he was a good soldier in, in Lehigh Valley, and when he came up and played games in the NHL when he had to, he was generally fine. So he was I, better it, than Morozik. Yes. Yes, he was definitely better than Morozik. So if they bring Lyon back, I'm cool with it. I just I feel like for his sake, it's probably better for him to leave, and I don't think the Flyers are, like, going to promise him anything to keep him around. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... When the hell are the Flyers making a trade? Like, what's next? When do we get in on the fun? 
No. Mm-mm. Uh, God damn it, Kelly. <laughs> no. Mm, no. Not this year, Bill. No, I really, I agree with Kelly. I don't want them to. Look at look at what they did. Look at what they did this season, even with it being the, the craziest season ever, probably in the history of the NHL. Look at what they were, look at what they managed to do. Exactly. I, I they're, they're this next shape. season, this next season is their best chance. You run it back. <sighs> Absolutely. Is, is run it back. still need upgrades. chance. Unless you, yes, can, unless you can, unless you can, it's the last year with Carter Hart on his ELC. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's their last chance to. It's their best chance. Okay. To make something happen. Fair. I mean, unless you can, like, you know, rip off Jim Rutherford by trading him Robert Haig because he loves bad defensemen. Like, maybe you do that, but otherwise, mm mm. Yeah, I guess Ghost I, I get... for a th- I guess my question to you, Bill, because you seem like the one who's very much like do something. Okay, what would you do? Do something good. I don't want them to just do something <laughs> for the sake of doing something. Like, I wanted Ron Hextall for this, f- to do something for the sake of doing something because I host a fucking podcast and he hadn't done anything for three years. I want Chuck Fletcher to do something good. Like, all right, we all decided Shane Gostaspare probably isn't going to be part of this blue line next year. All right, let's get something for him then. Let's turn him and a pick into the 3C we don't have. Okay, so basically the start of, of the Bill Matz offseason is tr- move Ghost either in a hockey trade that brings back a useful piece or to get assets, whether in the form of cap space or picks, to then ship out to get an upgrade somewhere else in the lineup. Am I following? Ta- yes, 100%. Time to upgrade this team and make a real legitimate run. We got to the second round this year. That was a lot of fun. I want to get to an Eastern Conference final. I want to get to a Stanley Cup final. I want to do it in the next couple of years. I think this next season is one of their best chances on the horizon, uh, you know, as long as health and everything holds up. I don't see why you wouldn't try to, almost, like, why wouldn't you be all in next season? I mean, it's fair. It, it, I, I think, I mean, I, I appreciate you giving me, like, a roadmap because I think there are some people that are like, Flyers got to do stuff. And it's like, well, what do you want them to do? It's, well, do good stuff. Like, okay, <laughs> great. Like, yes, that would be awesome if our GM always did good stuff and no bad stuff. That's the ideal. It's not actually a plan. Now, if you're talking about, okay, this starts with a gossip bear trade, I think that's fair. And I think that's, if I had to put money, I think that's going to happen. I think Ghost is going to get traded. Now, when, I don't know. But that strikes me as the most likely start to all this because you can't if, if if Fletcher has any intention of dipping his toes in the free agency pool he needs to clear space for October 9th that's only two weeks away so he Jesus, doesn't have he doesn't weeks. have a lot more time to trade ghosts to be ready for that first day of free agency rush so if a ghost trade is going to happen you think it's going to happen at some point in the next two weeks and once that happens then you have some flexibility you know, we can talk about, I did an article on, like, what Phil Myers' contract might look like. That's important. But you could put that off. He's an RFA. You could do that in October or November if you really want to. If you if you want to have cap space, you need to get somebody out. Frank Saravalli released his updated trade bait board today. I believe the one he did two weeks ago has James Van Reems, like, has the number two option on the trade board. 
James Van Riesling is not even on the trade board anymore, which leads me to believe that somebody might have called up old Frank and was like, yo, buddy, <laughs> we're probably not trading James Van Riemsdyk, so you might want to take him off that then. list. Um, well, someone but, was like, yeah, we trade him, but we're not interested in retaining $3.5 million, so we're not <laughs> trading him. Yeah, um, but Shane Gossesbear is still on the list. I think he's down in like the 15-16 range. So... If the Flyers are going to make a move, I think he's going to be the guy who gets moved. And then it just comes down to what you can get for him, whether, you know, you just get picks, whether you're doing some type of, like, you know, guy who doesn't fit for guy who doesn't fit trade, or yeah. if you're taking back, you know, a bad salary in, like, a Simone Gagne-type deal. Like, there's a lot of different ways a Gossip Bear trade could play out. We just kind of have to wait and see on what's the best thing that Fletcher can get. If they're able to bring back enough assets to be able to make another move, but also you have to take, like, R.J. Umberger, is that something we're interested in? No. Mm-mm. I think I said this on yeah. last, like, one of the podcasts last year. Like, I am so fucking done with taking back bad hockey players. Yes. Oh, no, Moss. I agree. I'm just like, if that's the only way to get the assets we need to make the next move we need to make, I'm not saying like, no, just go without then. But like, here's find the another thing. way. We don't need to make any moves. We don't need to have any holes filled. They've got the guys. I mean, well, they the don't have a, a third or fourth line center. No, they they do. The three C is a problem. 3C, Nolan Patrick will come back, hopefully next season. LOL, okay, sure. All right, come on. I, I, li- I would love it. I'm just like, I'm not, the problem. I'm not banking on that. Yeah. The team appears to be, so they've right. got the third line. It sounded like it. Last I heard. That's, I don't think, the Fletcher I don't, comment sounded to me like, I don't know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't, think, I don't think they're giving up on Nolan Patrick. I don't know if they're banking on him being ready for game one of next season. But then you have Morgan Frost if he's not ready. And you have Scott Long. And then also, center. who knows when next season is actually going to start. So This is true. Fair. There's a, there's a lot of question marks. But they have a 3C. And, like Charlie said, Morgan Frost. Like, there are guys. Okay. But this is no longer, like, tryout season. This is we're trying to win the cup season. What if Morgan Frost isn't ready and we just have to go with Derek Grant again? I'm not interested in that. Well, they're not Get going somebody with Derek good. Grant. He's not coming back. I'm I'm saying we have to then make a mid-season trade and we don't have any money to do so with because, you know, Nolan Patrick's still, still on LTIR, so we're not banking cap space every day. Then I'm not interested in going and getting some bargain rental and getting eliminated in the first in the second round again. Well, let's if try Morgan to Frost, win the cup. If Morgan Frost isn't ready to play 3C, then we have bigger problems than not winning the cup next season. If at this point in his development, he isn't ready to play third-line center, there are bigger problems. I mean, was Scott Lawton ready at this point in his development to play third-line center? No, yes. but he might not. He, Scott Lawton also like had a really weird development path, and I don't think Scott Lawton ever had the skill level, the high end skill level that that Morgan Frost has. Go, going back, prospects to, take a while. Going back to kind of what you were saying before, though, Bill, about like, well, I don't want to have to pick up somebody from the scrap heap mid season. Like, 
I understand where you're coming from there, but I just don't think you're acknowledging the difference in situations on the part of like how the front office is going to view this upcoming season versus how they viewed last upcoming season, last season. Like the reason why the Flyers didn't go and you know match the deal that the Islanders offered for Jean Gabriel Pajot, which would have solved the three C problem as a rental, was that the Fletcher looked at it and was like. In mid-February, I don't think we're a team that's ready to go all in. So we're going to have to bargain basement shop because I'm not willing to give a first-round pick for the only legitimate center on the market. Now, next season, I think that equation's different. You know, as long as the team plays for the first two-thirds of the year as well as we think they can play, I don't think Fletcher would be opposed to trading away a first-round pick for, for a guy at the trade deadline if the third-line center issue is still an issue. It might not be. Maybe Nolan Patrick solves it. Maybe Morgan Frost solves it. Maybe it doesn't matter. But I see the Flyers at next year's trade deadline, if the 3C is still a problem, kind of in the same spot the Islanders were this past season, where it's like, this is our friggin' time. Let's go all in. And I, I don't doubt that Chuck Fletcher, based on his track record in Minnesota— is going to be hesitant to go all in at the trade deadline if he feels like his team has a legitimate shot of the title. And if this team is as good as we think it is, I think they'll have a legitimate shot of the title. All right. Yeah. That's promising. That's what I like to hear. I just want to be good from wire to wire, personally. Wouldn't that be and nice? If Frost, if Frost and Patrick turn out, that's one of them good problems. All right. What it we're, sure is. What we're gonna what we're gonna do right now is take a quick break, and on the other side. We're going to expose ourselves. All right, fam, we are back, and now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, and you don't want us exposing ourselves. I still forgot to look up the clip, uh, even though I wrote the outline like three days ago, uh, so I'm just going to have to yell it instead of, you know, producing the segment and having it ready to go, but, you know, fuck all that. This is BSH Radio. You get what you get. It's free. Uh... <laughs> the NHL awards were handed out. We knew some of the winners, uh, but the rest were kind of a surprise, at least a little bit. Uh, I We made our predictions almost exactly a year ago. It was September 25th, 2019, which happened to be my 31st birthday. Uh, so we're 364 days since our predictions, and we finally get to see who was right and who was wrong. And we're going to lead it off with the most important award, as far as I'm concerned, the Norris Trophy. Uh, the reason it's the most important, of course, is because I accurately predicted the winner <laughs> of Roman Yossi. Everybody heat me with praise. You're so smart and good. Can I just say that when I was reading this outline, I was like, wait, that was this year's predictions? Like, how, <laughs> yes. how is that still this year? <laughs> this year, before Bear was born, and Bear is going to be a year old in a month. Yeah, this year. Nice. Yeah, nice. there was a, it was a weird year, guys. A little bit. It's the longest well, year of anyone's life. Well, it's also Bill's, uh, we're the day before Bill's birthday. So happy pre-birthday, Bill. Yay! I had to get... Had to get that in so I could be I could be given happy birthdays. There Everyone send Bill gifts. There you opinion. go. Happy pre-birthday to Bill. Um, hopefully Thank at hopefully family. at twelve oh one a.m. tonight you get absolutely hammered. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's go, a good chance that doesn't happen. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, going back to your point, no, it was a good pick. I mean, Yossi had a great year. Uh, I think for a while it looked like John Carlson was going to win it, but then everybody realized that he actually sucks at defense. So mm -hmm. it got to be Yossi, and that's that's fine. I mean, he was my vote. 
Uh, I will say I picked Petrangelo, and I think Petrangelo had nearly as good of a case as Yossi. I actually went back and forth between the two of those guys in my final vote. I actually had Petrangelo as number one on my ballot, and I switched it at the last minute because I looked up a couple more things, and Yossi's micro stats were just so fucking good this year, I couldn't deny it. But um, but I think Petrangelo had a Norris Trophy caliber year as well, so I'm not totally... Uh, I'm not saying I was... I, obviously, I was obviously wrong, but I think... I was the most right out of the rest of us. Well, these awards are so narrative based. Like in our in our uh, like explanations, Charlie, you mentioned for Petrangelo residual from the cup run. People are gonna re- want to reward him for that. And in my explanation for Josie, I said, "Listen, it, he's finally the guy. Like it's no longer Shea Weber. It's no longer PK Subban. He's no longer the most underrated player in hockey, which he was for so many years. People are finally going to give him his Lifetime Achievement Award like they did with Giordano. Yeah, you're not wrong. I yeah. think he d- he actually deserved it, though. Like, there are times... No, he where- did. He did. Yeah. He did. Like, there are times where the Norris is given as a Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't think it was this time. I think Yossi was actually the best defenseman in hockey. Kelly, you picked John Klingberg, and... Man, that was a, he's got a bit of a con Smythe case. He's being a little outshone by Heiskanen, but, I mean, he's having a hell of a playoff, so that might be a good pick a year from now or, you know, 18 months, whenever the fuck they hand out the awards again. I'm not even going to pretend that I'm smart and good because I legitimately stole that from Micah. <laughs> Micah was obsessed with the Dallas Stars when I was still up there, and so I was just like, yeah, Micah would say Klingberg, so I'm going to say Klingberg because he's really smart. <laughs> I'm a big Klingberg fan, definitely. And he's, he's been good in the playoffs. Um, but yeah. I absolutely, I'm, I'm with you there, Bill, that like Haskinen has, has sort of taken over as the premier, you know, defenseman on that roster. And it's great for Dallas because now they have two legitimate number one defensemen in, in Haskinen and Klingberg. And they can, you know, stick one of them on each of their pairings and have basically two first pairings, even if the, the other guy is just okay. Um, you know, kind of like with the Flyers in those those days when you had Pronger on one pairing and Team in on the other, and it was like like Carl and Coburn are good, but you know who's driving the bus on both those pairings. So you know, Haskinen stepping up from being like a really good young player to just being a really good player full stop has been huge for Dallas. Victor Hedman finished third in voting. Has anyone seen his goal scoring numbers? He's got, like, as many goals by a defenseman in a single playoff as almost anybody ever. I think, like, he's one or two behind the all-time lead. Wow. He's been killing it, too. He's really good, and Tampa Bay is really good at scoring goals. Yeah. Yeah, they do that. They they do a lot of that. I wanted to get to this, but since – I wanted to get to this after this, but since you just brought up – I brought it up, but also, Kelly – uh, did Tampa just figure the thing out? Like they're on a roll now, and that's it. This thing's pretty much over. They're Seems only up two like one, but the game last night seemed pretty much like, yeah, you guys aren't going to be able to hang with this like, offense. Game two, you know, they come out and score the three right away, but then that's it. I'm like, okay, Dallas is still hanging in, but then last night, uh... I think people are writing off Dallas a little bit too soon. I, I, you know, Tampa's obviously the better team, but I don't think this series is anywhere near over. Let me put it that way. Yeah, you were pretty firm about that during the game last night on Twitter. Well, I just think that, like, everyone is so, like, 
everyone is so recency biased with these players. So like, seriously. Oh, oh my God, the, the world's on fire. We lost one game. And then, oh my God, we're going to win the cup because we won four to one. Like, it's one game. It's a two to one series lead. This is far from over. Dallas could very easily win game four. And then we're talking about, oh my God, Dallas is going to pull the upset again. How look how boring they are and how infuriating it is that they're winning games despite the fact that they're not as good as Tampa. Like, let's just see how the series plays out. Yeah, Tampa dominated game three. That's great. They're the better team. They probably should win this series, but uh, it's still only two to one. Got to win four to win a series. My DraftKings account uh, appreciates your optimism, Charlie. <laughs> so one thing I do want to point out, though, about Tampa, because you briefly mentioned this, like, Victor Hedman is so fucking good. Oh, my God. Like, he's kind of, he's reached a point in my mind where, you know, I can say that, like, Roman Yossi deserved the Norris. You know, Roman Yossi had a great year. He had the best year of any defenseman in hockey. And say that with a straight face and totally believe it. But the best defenseman in hockey, period, is Victor Hedman. And I don't know if it's particularly close. He's making a good Conn Smythe case, too. There's nothing that he doesn't do well. He does everything well. Like, if if somebody with a vote watched zero games and just put in Victor Hedman every single year for the Norris, it would be like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Fine with me. <laughs> yeah, like, he's he's the best defense. He, he's maybe not every—it's kind of like with, with Lundqvist, where, like, okay, L- the, the reason why Lundqvist didn't win 10 Veznas in his prime was because every year there was, like, one or two guys that had a better save percentage than him, and maybe they had the better year. But, like— Every year, Lundqvist was one of the top five best goalies in hockey, and that's why he was so great. And to me, that's Hedman. Like, every year, you know Victor Hedman is going to be awesome. You never have to worry about him. He's huge. He can skate. He can shoot. He can pass. He blocks shots. Like, he literally does everything you want a defenseman to do, and he has no weaknesses in his game. He's incredible. All right, let's move it on to the Vezina Trophy now. Uh, winner. Thank you for for ignoring my very bad Norris guess. Oh yeah, we uh, Colton Pareko. Uh, Steph also argued uh, residual from the Cup run, and he's handsomer than uh, <laughs> Petrangelo. People forget that. I, I love Did it. I really say that Petrangelo is very handsome? You said handsomer, which really made me laugh. I mean, okay, Petrangelo well, is bi- job, is, is bigger though, so that might have played into it. Pareko is bigger than Petrangelo? Yes. Yeah. Pareko is a, yeah, is a beefy no, boy. Yeah, I, no, I do like the beef, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Jesus. Why does anybody listen to me on the show? Why do you allow me on the show? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, thanks. So the uh, the Vezina Trophy winner was Connor Hellybuck. He beat out Rask and Vasilevsky. Uh, none of us got particularly close on this one. <laughs> Kelly chose John Gibson, Nailed who had it. an uncharacteristic unchar- <laughs> down year. <laughs> Steph said Carter Hart, and if Hart doesn't get one single Vezina vote this year, she will burn down the Wildfire Studio. So uh, sorry about that. R.I.P. Wildfire. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, Charlie, he said he hedged with either Flurry or Anderson, and uh, because he couldn't remember who he picked for the Athletic, uh, and I said Grubauer, and then I named a bunch of goalies. It'll probably be, and they all sucked. <laughs> uh, Lundqvist, Holtby, and Price, 
Uh, Charlie did bring up Vasilevsky when I was just naming goalies off the top of my head. So you're the only one who even said the name of a finalist in this segment, Charlie. Hey, uh, I think if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're purely talking about like who we picked, Steph probably wins this because I think Hart probably had the best year out of our picks, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Look at my boy. My perfect boy. And like, like this was... This was a perfect example of how goalies are bullshit. Like Kelly, John Gibson. How does like John Gibson has a bad year? He's had a 920 save percentage like every single season for the last five years, and now he fucking he stinks. Like Flurry, uh, he was okay. Anderson, eh. Like Grubauer, he got outplayed by Francois at one point. Yeah, not a not a great year for. For our goalie picks. I, yeah, Hart was probably the best one, unless you want to give me credit for Vasilevsky, but, like, he's, like, the no. top pick. <laughs> no credit. No, no credit. No none. credit. That's, that's so, like, Vasilevsky, like, how do you have a Norris Trophy and uh, I, it, it boggles, I don't know. Like, if you have the Norris Trophy candidate and the Vezina Trophy, I, ah. Doesn't I mean, a goalie make up for a lack? I don't know. How do you how do you not win the Stanley Cup? I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find out if they finally do this year. <laughs> <laughs> and last year's MVP, like goddamn these assholes. That's what I was saying. I was like, just like Tampa, just win the cup this year. So then you don't. Then then you've got your cup. Then we can just shut up about you. Yes, you we like, never have to th- talk about you th- again. Th- then then you can go on your decline, but you won your cup, so it's okay. Like just win your damn cup, and then let's be done with you. I really I literally thought... just said just said that exact same thing in the meeting I had before this podcast. I said, "Fine, let Tampa win the cup this year, and then let just disappear. I don't want to hear from them ever again." I really thought it would be damn funny if the Stamkos era Lightning finally win a cup, and Stamkos had nothing to do with it. But he actually he <laughs> oh, no. he found his way into the lineup, so it's not quite as funny. Well, that gets a little bit funny. It's still a little funny. All right, so let's move on to the Calder Trophy for Rookie of the Year. It was won by Kale McCarr. Uh, He beat out Quinn Hughes and Dominic Kobalik. Uh, Our guesses, let's see here. Kelly chose Phil Myers. I think that was a hell of a pick. I don't know what the fuck. What was was happening to me during this? You you were very high on the Phil Myers (laughs) quote. Hey, he had a nice playoff for a part. He did. Kelly, if, if I remember correctly, I believe this is what happened. I believe you originally picked Carter Hart. We're then told he's not a rookie anymore. Oh, and yeah. we're like, oh, and we're like, oh, shit, fine, Phil Myers. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> Charlie ended up being the closest uh, because he said he was hoping for a Calder battle between the Hughes brothers, and I accepted that non-answer. Steph, of course, specified which Hughes and chose Jack, so... <laughs> Another bad opinion from Step Driver. Woof. So, coming into this year, uh, my pick was the NHL's all-time leader in goals per game. And uh, he actually ended up doubling his NHL goal total from last season. Unfortunately, he did so in 63 games split between the NHL and AHL. Uh, Ryan Paling. He scored a hat trick in the last day of the year last season, and I was like, fuck it. He's it. He's the one. (laughs) 27 games in the league this year, one goal, one assist. You know, I respect the spice of it, Bill. <laughs> he Bill only Ryan. had five He only had five goals in the AHL. He had three in one game last year. Bill, I cannot wait for your call to pick for next year because this is what you do. 
like the previous year, if you remember, you picked Ryan Donato. Ryan Donato. You didn't, yeah. you didn't even finish his season with the team that he started the year with. Yeah. This year, you picked yeah. Ryan Paling. So I cannot wait until which player you drag up out of nowhere for your Calder choice for next season. It's gonna. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get emails from agents like, "Don't fucking pick my player." <laughs> <laughs> So I guess we have to accept because uh, Quinn was a finalist, Charlie was the closest here. No, no. no. Charlie picked two people. Absolutely <laughs> not. That's a DQ. Uh, all right. Uh, where are we now? The Hart Trophy. Uh, <laughs> the most inconsequential fucking trophy in sports. <laughs> the NHL MVP. Because <laughs> it's, it's really just like... Give it to the guy who leads the league in points. At let's just call it what the fuck it is, you know. Well, that's the other it's, one. Yeah, well, it, yeah. The only year they didn't do that was the year that it would have helped Claude Giroux, right? Yeah. No, Claude <laughs> Giroux is second and doesn't even finish top three. Fuck it. It's just the Art Ross Trophy, like it really. Except that one year, defensemen never win it. Goalies win it uh, once a decade, maybe. It's just for the guy who scores the most points. And that's what it was this year. It was Leon Dreisaitl beating out McKinnon and Panarin. It really should have been one of those two because, like, you know, McDavid plays on Dreisaitl's team. Uh, but anyway, Dreisaitl had the most points, so he wins it. Kelly uh, Kelly chose McDavid. Charlie chose Crosby. Steph chose Marner. And I picked Nathan McKinnon because he's been on Trailer Park Boys before. <laughs> I would argue that I won this one because Connor McDavid is kind of the reason why Leon Dreisaitl got the heart. Like, they're both independently great. I Mm -hmm. just don't see how if you remove a 100-point scorer from the team and there's still a 100-point scorer there, how he can be the most valuable. Like, isn't this why Taylor Hall won the award? Because nobody else on his team scored at all? So even though he was, like, sixth... He was actually the most valuable? Yeah, I just don't get it. Me neither. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the big argument you, hear it against, you heard against Dreisaitl was the defense, which is fair. I mean, he, he's not a particularly good defensive player. Um, he still was really good. I, I think the, yeah. the, the, the big thing in Dreisaitl's favor, and this is, prob- this is the reason why I didn't put him um, super high. I think I had him fourth on my ballot, um, is because the big thing that... The big thing about Edmonton was that their power play was, like, historically good. And Dreisaitl obviously was a huge part of that. The thing is, is that obviously McDavid was, too. Like, Dreisaitl spent a lot of his time at 5-on-5 away from McDavid. They sort of split the two up, and that's when Dreisaitl exploded. So that's why it was fair to be like Dreisaitl wasn't a product of McDavid. I don't think he was. But on the power play, kind of maybe wasn't a product, but, like, it was like those two players' powers combined to form this like 30% effective power play. So, you know, take McDavid away. Are they that good? No, they're probably still good on the power play, but they're not like historically good. And McDavid only played 64 games this year. So, and like Dreisaitl continued to be great without. I'm not saying he didn't have a great season. I'm just saying like. I don't know if the best player in the world is. Did Mark Messier ever win an MVP playing with Gretzky? I don't think he did. Yeah, I, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. Did, wait, maybe he won one after Gretzky left. That's possible. I don't know. I, I, I don't know the history of Mark Messier. 
No, I, I haven't really. I this was a point without like any research behind it, so it's probably <laughs> fucking happened, and I sound like an asshole. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought it was McKinnon or Panarin just because like. Man, the Rangers stunk without Panarin on the ice, and he made them, like, technically a playoff team. Uh, you know, McKinnon, his, uh, yes, he has great teammates. They all missed a bunch of time, and he was still awesome this year. I, I think it should have been McKinnon, personally. Yeah, I've, I voted Panarin, and it was primarily because his line mates were Ryan Shroom and Jesper Faust. Like, full, full stop. Like, Full stop. That is the punchline. Charlie doesn't need. Charlie doesn't need a second sentence. That's the no. That's the tweet. Like, <laughs> you should have. You should have like wrote that in red pen on your ballot. Like mine should be worth more. <laughs> I I don't hate the tricycle win. I it's I'm not fine terrible. It. I'm fine with it. It's fine. I just think that. If if Dreisaitl's going to be your pick, McDavid should be top three, too. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. I have complicated feelings. Obviously, it was not Mitchell Marner. <laughs> it was not. I it was not Mitch Marner. It wasn't. Uh, so the Selkie Trophy, we already talked about this a bit when uh, with last week with our uh, Couturier Appreciation Half Hour. But, uh, of course, he wins it over Bergeron and O'Reilly. Steph, Kelly, and Charlie all predicted Sean Couturier would win it, and I went with Crosby because I thought the voters were going to try to outsmart themselves and be like, oh, well, he's not the MVP anymore, but he's actually better than ever because he's playing defense. So I kind of thought they were going to give him this, but they didn't. It was uh, it was Coots. So you all beat me on that one, and we had another team up on the Jack Adams. I, along with Kelly and Steph, picked Elaine Vigneault, and uh, Steph actually said the words, I agree with you, to me on the show, it happened. <laughs> we got to get that recorded and, like, you know, place as a, you know, a drop-in in the show sometimes. That one never could have been predicted. When, when Steph misses shows. Sounds fake. When Steph misses shows, I'm just going to have it, like, on my phone, make a point, and then play it. <laughs> yes. Yes, I oh, love it. Oh, no. Steph just dropped in to Steph just dropped in to say something, <laughs> and it's just I agree with you. Oh no, uh, Charlie! Actually, his pick was Brenda Moore, and his other idea was Dallas Eakins, just because Randy Car- Carlisle sucked so bad. But he picked Brenda Moore. Uh, I, he had a good shot at it for a while, and then we uh, we had a tiebreaker. First coach to be fired. Kelly nailed it. Boom. Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock. He was fired. uh, He was fired on November twentieth. He was the first coach of the year. It was followed by Bill Peters, then John Hines, uh, then Jim Montgomery, then Peter DeBoer, then Lavi, then Gerard Gallant, then finally Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, there were a Uh, lot of firings. There were firings this year. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that like Babcock was actually the first coach fired because. It would have been very weird if the tiebreaker of this was the Bill Peters fire, and considering the fact, yeah. like, why he was fired, it had nothing to do with, you know, his team. It had to do with the fact that he's a shitty person. <laughs> but, like, and that's, like, the Blues win the cup the year they fire their coach, so every team is like, well, fuck it. It's not even, like, a death knell to fire your coach. 
And then this year, the Stars, the Jim Montgomery thing happened. Now they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. So we might have like 20 firings next year. So I have a theory. I've Uh-oh. had this theory for, for a while. Um, and and it's, it's one of those weird ones. Like I don't, There's not a lot to back it up. But my theory is that switching coaches midseason can really, really help you win a cup because it allows a team to play multiple styles. Because you have you, – you basically you have the system that you learn from the initial coach, and then you have the system you learn from the new coach, and it allows the team to kind of like seamlessly – if the second coach does a good job, it allows the team to kind of seamlessly transition between two distinct styles of play, which makes them a much more tough team to knock out in the playoffs. Like that's one of the reasons why I think like Vino does well his first year because like – for example, I remember that, that the year the Rangers got to the cup final. Like, they would kind of transition back and forth between playing Torts Hockey, who was their coach before Vino, and then Vino Hockey. And sometimes they would seem to do it, like, between periods. It would almost be like Vino would pull them and be like, all right, we're up by two goals. We're going to play Torts Hockey now. It's like, oh, we're down by two. All right, let's play Fun Hockey. And, like, I do think that that, like – that ability to be flexible that comes from having multiple coaches implementing their visions on a team in a short period of time, I think that helps in the playoffs. I think it helps to have the ability to play different styles. So that's just one of my personal pet theories. So in terms of the other guesses, Steph is the only one who picked another coach who was fired. She said Lavi, uh, who was fired January 6th. He was the sixth, sixth coach fired. Uh, me, uh, Charlie, and then I said that was mine, uh, but I'll pick another because it's the tiebreaker. Charlie said Paul Maurice, who got a contract extension, and I then said, yeah, because of Connor Hellebuck, of course. That's what happens. A goalie plays bad, coach gets fired. Goalie plays good, coach gets extension. And then I said John Tortorella because Columbus is just bad, and he was a Jack Adams finalist. So obviously, this season went exactly how we all thought it would. <laughs> we are so smart <laughs> you know, and good. You know what I haven't heard a lot of Flyers fans talk about? Um, that Lavi was hired by the Caps. Is that something that uh, we should be concerned about? No. Why? Um, I mean, he's a good coach, and that's still a good team. Yeah. I feel I like I, I mean, I'm ready to stop caring about the caps. So if if we're we don't care about this, I'm, that's fine. So I care no, about I'm, it to a, I care about it to a degree because I think Lavi's really good at like the first couple years when his message is fresh, and I think what hiring him is going to do is I think it's going to keep Washington relevant for another couple years. Like I think it may, uh, I, I think it's just going to like postpone. Like they're they're due for a collapse. Like they're going to fall off a cliff soon, and I think the Capitals front office gets that because they see how old the roster's getting and the bad contracts that are looming and things like that. And I think they look at it as like Laviolette is the guy we hire to just put that off a couple more years. Yeah, like let's try to squeeze two more fucking years out of this group. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, I see that. I think Laviolette's a good coach. Uh, it doesn't concern me because I think the Flyers have a good coach and the Flyers have a good roster. Flyers have a good front office. So I'm not like worried about it. What I did see when the hiring was announced was a bunch of Flyers fans like revisionist. Oh, we should have never fired Lavi. Like, do you remember the oh, fucking. That happens every time. Do you remember watching that team? Like, does anyone remember those first three games? That was abject fucking misery. Like, a bunch of players who didn't feel like playing, 
And a coach who was like, I don't know what to do. Pavel Kabin is out there. I'm going to tell my defenseman to keep pinching. Oh, we got burned. It's a 3-on-0. Like, uh, <laughs> it was such a bad marriage by the end. People completely, people completely erased how bad Laviolette was for the Flyers at the end and replaced it with how good he was with new teams in their yeah, minds. Yeah, like even just not the end. Like, you can make an argument the Briz thing is on him. Mm, yeah, because he, he, really, he really cocked up the goalies like, during that playoff run. Holmgren made the signing. Obviously, Ed Snyder pushed for it, but uh, I'm, uh, Bobrovsky gets you there. He has a good game one. Game two is bad, and the next thing you know, fucking Michael Layton's back. Like, oh, no. he played with the yeah, Phantoms all year. Not it great. Was, it was rough. Uh, no, I, I think I think Laviolette's a good coach. Um, yeah, but he's I a do good coach. I, I do think that he's a guy with a shelf life, and I think he had just reached the end of his shelf life in Philadelphia. Plus, they uh-huh. just didn't have defensemen that could play his style. Like, the, the defense was such a dumpster fire by the end that if you want to play Laviolette style, you need guys that can move the puck from the back end, and the Flyers had, like, two. You think, you think Kent Huskins is one of them? <laughs> I don't even remember who they had on that blue line by the line. I was just, that, that was year. the first. Was, I can't even think rough. of the other really fun they had one. That, they had Luke Shen. They didn't yeah, have McDonald yet. Um, they had like what was left of chemo and Braden Coburn, who was like one of the few guys who could sort of move the puck. Um, who else? He could just move his game? legs more than it. <laughs> they might have had. They might have had. I think they had Mark Streit, so Streit could move the puck. So you basically had Streit who could move the puck. You had Teeminen who was on his last legs. You had Coburn who like I liked Braden Coburn as a defenseman, or at least I did when he was in his prime. But like he was never a great puck mover. He was more like an inconsistent puck mover. And then they had just a bunch of dudes. They had Grossman still. Oof. I was going to say, was Mazzaro still around? He might have still been around. I'm not I'm, sure. I'm looking at the exactly roster from his... There. I'm looking at the roster from the, uh, if this ever loads, the uh, lockout season. That was his second to last year. Yeah. Well, they, tra- they, they traded for McDonald at the, at the deadline, but that was after Laviolette got fired. Yeah. So he gets fired, what, three games into that. So we had Tiemann and Shen. They have Jay Rosehill listed as a defenseman. Was he a defenseman? No. He was not. <laughs> uh, Andre Mazaros, Brandon Manning, Andreas Lilia. Yeah. Lilia. Uh, Oliver Lordson. Oh, man. Yeah, Andreas. Uh, Oliver Lordson, Matthew Conan, Kent Huskins, uh, Gus Bus. Grossman, Jesus Christ, Br- Bruno Gervais, Curtis Ooh. Foster, that's the one I couldn't think of. Oh, Bruno and, Gervais, yeah. Max Tal- Talbot's Max- best friend. I was going to say that, Max Talbot's buddy. Yeah, Curtis Foster and Braden Coburn. The dark times when Oliver Lardson was, like, high on the prospect. I still think he could have been something. He was a very large human, I will give you. You can't teach size. I've, I've heard that before. This is true. There's no accounting for the beef. God, no. That was Bill that, also likes his beef. That that was indeed an NHL defense, except it kind of wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly, it was allegedly NHL defense. Yeah, Laviolette has a shelf life. If you give him nothing but AHL players, Australia, <laughs> I can't believe he couldn't turn this group into something. Kimo oh, team and literally gonna die on the ice. <laughs> yeah, he was what a year away from his blood clots. Yeah, yeah. God. Yeah. What, All right. Do what? we have any closing thoughts? 
thank God that we got through that year and didn't all like kill each other. Seriously. <laughs> or ourselves. We made it, guys. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we made it. We did it. Look at look at Carter Hart. Just look at his perfect angel face. We made it. That's our that's our gift. That's our closing thoughts is we made it. Brighter times ahead, fam. Thanks for that little walk down memory lane with us. <laughs> uh, going back a year and more to our predictions. Uh, that was a fun time, I thought. Any closing thoughts on the Stanley Cup final or the Flyers or anything before we wrap it up? Happy birthday tomorrow, Bill. Yay, oh, thank you, driver. Yeah. Bill. Yes, happy birthday to me. Uh, <laughs> that... That is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Subscribe, rate, and review. I hear it's important. Uh, I don't know how it's important, but on the other show I work for, they keep really hammer hammering it home. So I'm going to do it with you. Fucking, you know, rate and review us. It's good. Five stars. A+. plus. All right, that's it. My name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Steph, for Charlie. Almost forgot Charlie's name. Oh, my God. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!